Hey guys, if you are a father who would like to have a deeper relationship with your son, if you have a son that you're trying to pour into and develop, if you want to help your son see the greatness that you know he has in his life, I've got a very special event coming up June 23rd through 27. We are going to be in Cleveland National Forest. My father's coming with me, Who my, the man who you hear me talk about all the time, who helped me become who I've become in life. We're going to be doing a father-son rite of passage event, Map and Compass Land Navigation. I'll be teaching you how to use Map and Compass in the exact same place that I learned in Navy SEAL training. This is going to be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You'll, rem- you'll have these memories for the rest of your life. If you want to find out more, you can click the link in the description below. We've only got 16 spots available and we've already sold a few of those you can find out more at the impossible.life slash legacy navigators most people will overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 literally if you rewind 10 years ago i was i had one kid i was unemployed i had nine thousand dollars of savings which was everything i had to my name literally that was all i had was in a bank account that I had saved up to move back from the UK to America. My parents were kind enough to let us stay in a room. They had a prefab home in Poway, California. It was not a big place. And I was coming back to America with a hope, with a lot of hope and with a deep, deep desire to make things better. I I just had this suspicion and this belief that I could make it possible. That's impossible. Let me tell you what I believe. Your weakness is not your technique. Yes! Yes! Don't think you are. No, you are. The Impossible Life Podcast. I mean, you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. This is the Impossible Life Podcast because Nick and I are attempting to live impossible lives. What we know is that nothing is impossible. So instead of using impossible as an excuse to not try, We'll use the pursuit of impossible as an accelerant for greatness. If something's never been done before, that just means it's unexplored. If they tell you it's too hard, it's just waiting to be simplified. Impossible is a default label used by uncourageous people unwilling to take a risk. The real truth is this. The solution to any impossible task starts with this question. If I had to, what would it take? What would it take? Welcome to another episode of The Impossible Life. I'm your favorite host, Garrett Unklebach, and I'm sat across from a man that takes pride in his side hustle as my crying stunt double. Nick Surface, a man who wears my heart on his sleeve, a podcast of a man with no tears and the man who's always crying. Welcome to The Impossible Life. That was, uh, yeah, that's why I do the intros. In case you didn't notice, though, by the way, dude, I wear your heart on my sleeve. Yeah, you're my crying stunt double. Yeah, but I, when they need me to cry on scene, I can't cry, so you stand in for oh, me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't catch that in the uh, original one, but you know. You're my crying stunt double. I appreciate that. That's uh, why I'm always like, you know, helping you practice crying. Thank you. I appreciate that service. In case you haven't noticed, it's a very different episode today uh, when Garrett's giving Nick, me an intro. Nick always does the intros. I agreed to do this one one time, and I'll be ready for Nick to get back to his job, but this is a different episode. Uh, we're going to be interviewing Nick today and diving into his story. Correct. Yeah, which I'm looking forward to doing. Uh, I am as well. And I actually kind of would like to, um, I'd like to start with, you know, just jumping right into this. I've seen you change dramatically since we've uh, first known each other. And I know we joke about that and my dad gives you a hard time about that. Yeah. Um, but in all seriousness, I've seen you change so much for the better. Yeah, agreed. In, in the last few years, I think. I mean, even in, in some of our friends and the people around you, you're proof of what's possible uh, for all of us. It encourages me as well to see how much you change. And I, I really want to just start with where you are right now before we go backwards. Yeah. Um, I mean, where, so where am I at right now? You want me to just give you like a rundown of my yeah. life, right? So yeah, I mean, current day, this is uh, August of 2023. So I'm, you know, I'm married, obviously 18 years married, got three kids. Uh, very, very proud of that. Um, I have three businesses as well, which are all things that I'm really passionate about and I enjoy. They're all doing well. Um, my marriage is, is thriving. I've got friendships that are truly like the friendships I always dreamed of where they're people that I admire and respect and just love being around. Um, I get to, uh, spend my time doing what I decide to do. Like I control my schedule. 
I'm in the best shape of my life, uh, oddly enough, I, even at this age now at 41. Um, I'm stronger than I've ever been and leaner than I've been in probably about the last 15 years. So there's a lot of things that from the outside you can and, point to. And also talking about where you are today, tell me about what your thought life is oh, like today and tell me about what you see for the next 10 years in your life. Yeah. So thought life, I, I think for the, what, what drew me to you originally, Garrett, I've talked about this a lot, was I just, I saw somebody that lived fearless and had an immense sense of purpose and I wanted that. And I, I, now I have that. Like when I wake up every day, like today matters is our thought process. Mm -hmm. I truly feel that like today matters. I feel like I've gone from being the guy who was like riding the wave, uh, or or trying, like hoping to catch a good wave to being like, I know exactly where the wave is going to come. I know what I'm going to do. And, and I have this incredible sense of certainty, not so much about what's going to happen in the future because I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I know who I'm going to be no matter what. Yeah. And because of that, like I, things I say a lot to people who are close to me is I go, I'm going to get better for every, for the rest of my life. Like every single day I am committed to getting better until the day I die. And I think there's between that and understanding of principles and just a lot of the things that I learn, I'm excited. Like what does the next 10 years hold? I always, I don't really put a cap on that. I, I will often say to Reem, because I have this suspicion, I always have these suspicions that there's, an, you know, I'm like, ooh, what's the next level going to look like? You know what I mean? I'm like, how great, you know, what's God going to do? I don't put any limit on that. So, like, I have some things I could get specific for that I don't think would actually serve the audience, but I'll just say that, like, my sense of belief, and not just belief, but expectation for what the next 10 years like is massive and is great. If I could just summarize how I, what I feel like your thought life, your life looks like, looks like today is you enjoy every day, mm-hmm. you're excited about tomorrow, and you have so much hope and belief yeah. for what's possible in the future. And Big I know time. a lot of people would love that for themselves. Yeah. If we could just go, just rewind 10 years yeah. from where you are today, go back 10 years and tell everyone what that looked like. Well, 10 years is a good a good one because my man, uh, Tony Robbins, this quote, and if there's one thing that you take away from this, really this is what I want it to be. Most people will overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 really capture that. You can think about where you were at 10 years ago if you don't believe me. And I promise you, your life looks very different. And that was by default. If you actually designed it, it could look very different. So Garrett asking me that question, literally, if you rewind 10 years ago, I was, I had one kid, I was unemployed. I had $9,000 of savings, which was everything I had to my name. Literally, that was all I had was in a bank account that I had saved up to move back from the UK to America. Um, Like I said, I had no job. Uh, we didn't have anything that was going to bring us income. My parents were kind enough to let us stay in a room. They had a prefab home in Poway, California. It was not a big place. Uh, it was not a glamorous place, but it was a place. And I was very grateful to them for letting us stay there. And I was coming back to America with a hope, with a lot of hope and with a deep, deep desire to make things better and a real drive to go out there. And I had a suspicion about how I would do it, um, how it's actually worked. has been very, very different. But I, I just had this suspicion and this belief that I could make it possible. And, and we're going to get into to why and that if, was. If I'll just, I'll just uh, add in a little bit of color that you didn't add. You know, I know you guys personally, and I know your marriage is way better than it oh, was man. 10 years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, I didn't touch Obviously, that. you have more children than you yeah. had back then. And, you, you know, business-wise, mm-hmm. you are doing so well, mm. far more successful than yeah. where you were back then. I think there's just so many areas in your life where you're a great example of really what's possible in 10 years with yeah. your life. And I want to, if, if, if you don't want to add anything. I, no, I, I do. I, I, it's weird that you're remembering my life better than me. Uh, this is not, this is not <laughs> off to a great start, <laughs> but no, yeah, I, it's funny. Cause I'm just thinking about like some of the metrics of, but like, yeah, so I, you know, I was not the man that my wife deserved by any stretch of the imagination. I was, I was, I had just kind of got out of depression physically mentally i still carried all the same broken thought processes bad habits uh limiting beliefs i didn't believe in god like i had no faith no intention of going to church when we came out here to say to we moved back to san diego i had no intention of even pursuing god i'd already you know figured out that god wasn't real so that's that's who i was yeah and i'm in a you know in a bedroom with my parents at 31 years old with a kid no belief in god a lot of broken thinking very little to my name. I had literally like nothing. We didn't have a car. We didn't have anything, man. And I'm just like, okay, but I got to hope. I think this will be better than it was in the UK. And that was, that was probably about the most positive thing is that I had a hope and a really strong desire to make it better. You just weren't going to quit, but you didn't yeah. really have anything going for you. No. I, yeah. I mean, if, if you're betting, you wouldn't have bet on me. Yeah. My wife did. And that's like, that, you know, well, Rian's awesome. She is awesome. Way better than I deserve. So I wanted to just 
tap into that first part of Nick's story to set up why we're going to go back and hopefully you'll, you'll hear something in there that makes you interested in Nick's story because Nick, you know, is not only my friend and co-host, but Nick's someone that I'm, I'm very proud to know, someone who I care about and love deeply. And I think his story is one that can be transformative for a lot of people because even the, the people who aren't on our podcast, people who are just in our circle, I, I tell them to look at Nick as a picture of what's possible. And so what, what you just heard, how far Nick's come in the last 10 years, how, how far he's come in the last few years, I want to tell Nick's story from the beginning. So we're going to dive into that so you can see what got him to such a low place, mm-hmm. uh, which is also what sets him up for where he is today. Yeah, that's that's a good point, Gene. So let's kind of go back to the, the beginning for you, Nick. Let's take an opportunity to really kind of dive into some of your early years. Okay. you want What do you want to know? Like how I was as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. Give us some of the, uh, the you know, tell the listeners what they should know about you at, at a, you know, childhood, high school age. What are the things that people need to know and understand? Yeah. So I would say, you know, summary for high for for as a young kid. I mean, I was always or, I, or if I could ask you the questions that you ask me all the time, why are you the way that you are? Yeah, well, I ask you that because you know I have to deal with a lot of pain. But, you know, I like to think that mine are a little bit nicer for why I am the way that I am. No, I mean I grew up in a loving home. My my parents have been together over forty years. Um, they instilled a lot of belief in us. Like one thing that I identified that I connected with you on early on is you always talk about the infinite potential unlock. And while I did not have something as uh, nice, neatly packaged as that, my mom told us all the time, you guys can do anything. Like, and she was, she was very adamant about speaking positively over us. Yeah. She was, cause she heard other people talk negatively over their kids and she just, she never wanted to be that. So that me and my sister both have this incredible sense of self belief because of that. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, so grew up in that, grew up in a Christian home, you know, going to church, God was always central to my life. I was, you know, like that was my earliest memories, man, like with Carmen and like DC talk and these old Christian, like, mm-hmm. like music groups and stuff. I was like all in, man. That was like my life. All my friendships were from church. And like, I grew up in church. I learned how to play instruments because of church. There was just a lot of things that in my life were because of, you know, just God, because of being in the church. And so getting into high school and getting into those uh, kind of teenage years where things start to get interesting. Um, you know, I was always competitive and we, we had a lot of like food scarcity in my teenage years and I didn't realize it at the time, but there was a couple things that were unfortunately sewn into me that like kind of got trained into me. Uh, yeah. and I'm not blaming that on my parents cause they weren't training these things into me, but it was just like circumstances of life of constantly being like, Hey, we can't afford it. Uh, you know, yeah, that's, that stuff doesn't even have to be habitual. You can, you can have one thing at one time that yeah. cements a belief. That's a wrong belief. Right. And, but we had, I mean, it was pretty regular thing for my teenage years, like especially through high school, uh, you know, like skipping Christmas one year because we couldn't afford it, which was, you know, that's embarrassing. You go back to school and your friends like, what'd you get for Christmas? And you just kind of like make something up to kind of get that question aside as fast as possible. Uh, to this day, I still won't eat baked potatoes because, uh, like I said, we didn't have a lot of food. Garrett's smiling. I don't know why you find this funny, but uh, I think we, it's interesting. we didn't have a lot of, we, we, there was a lot of times whenever we had, uh, more week than we did money. Right. And yeah. so it was like, what can, what do we have for dinner? You can have baked potato. And so I, I, to this day, I won't eat a baked potato. I hate baked potatoes. I was like that when that was the only option all of a regular basis, I was not a fan of it. Um, and so I was, you know, like I've said, I've told this before, uh, my parents moved us into the best school district in San Diego. And we, you know, we lived in a condo and, and I was surrounded by a bunch of kids who like 16th birthday was like, here's a car. You know, you don't have to get a job. I want you to concentrate on school as if, you know, high school is really that difficult, but whatever. Right. Um, and so I'm in those, I, I'm growing up with this kind of two things happening. One, I have some anxiety about like whether we're going to have enough money, you know, we, frustration of a kid of not being able to afford things. But then I'm also surrounded by these people who are generous to me and are like, Hey, you can come out for dinner with us, which was like a huge deal for me. Like going out for dinner was a big deal. So if my friend's parents were going to pay for me to go out, I was like, I, you know, I still say thank you to this day to anybody who takes me out for dinner. Cause I always remember what it's like to not have that as an option. And the so nicest I, meals you ate were with other people. hundred percent. They were. Yeah. And sometimes I would strategically go over to friends' houses to like hang out and just be there for dinner because I didn't want to eat what we had at home. And so, you know, I was also being showed without realizing what's possible. I had friends who had like their parents were, were had these condos down in Mexico. were like, Oh yeah, you guys can just go down on a weekend. And I'm going down to this place. That's just like beautiful. Yeah. And so I'm getting, I'm also being shown what's possible at the same time going back home and being like, oh, we can't do that. So these two things are kind of being are happening at the same time. But, but one thing that I would notice, and 
you know, I didn't realize this at the time, but this is my learner, um, is like pattern recognition. And I, I'm always picking things up is I was so confident with my friends. Um, and I don't know that any of them even listened to this. Some of my friends that were close to me at that time, but I knew cause a, I've always been competitive. Thanks to my mom. She used to beat me at checkers when I was like four years old <laughs> and it used to really make me mad. And so I, I developed a really competitive yeah. desire because of that, which I'm grateful to her for. Um, but two, I would look at these kids getting stuff for free and I would see how much they didn't appreciate it. And like, I was obviously like, oh my gosh, you're so lucky. Like, this is amazing. And I knew, I was like, you know what? We're not going to be with our parents forever. One day we're going to get out in the world. And I had no idea how it was going to happen. But I knew when we got out there that I was going to be better off because, you know, my first job was McDonald's. I'm having to like work to drive a car that none of that they used to make fun of. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, so this is like my- that you had to pay for it. Yeah. That, oh yeah. I, you know, I had to pay. I did, My parents were like- you know, you have to pay your own insurance, your own gas, all that sort of stuff. And it was, you know, it seemed harsh at the time in my little 16 year old brain, but like, I look back on it now and I'm like, I'm going to do the same thing to my kids. Cause they need to know what it is to, yeah. to actually earn it. But I had this confidence, this unconscious knowing that I was like, one day I'm going to be way better off than my friends and I'm going to have way more drive. And I don't know how it's going to work out, but like, I just knew I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to have them one day. Like I'll eat their lunch one day. Yeah. You, well, you, you were competitive, yes. right? Like you said, and I think that comp that competitive spirit within people, especially all the ones that I've seen, if you can channel it, cause I mean, I can tell you all the ways that my competitive spirit when I was young was a negative thing, Yeah, uh, but it's a positive thing today. And it's, uh, for, for you, that competitive spirit within you helped you it, it along with your belief to help you know that you could win. Yeah. Right. And that even though your friends had a better opportunity than you or better advantages, whatever sort of circumstance they had that you knew you still had the ability to win. Yeah. And I, I knew God had a purpose for me. Like I had this deep sense of purpose that I grew up with. I mean, obviously if you grow up in church, it's like, you know, nothing happens for, for, you know, nothing happens without reason. And I had this like longing for adventure as well, which leads to sort of the next phase of my life. So I, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I literally almost joined every branch of the military. <laughs> like I've taken, the, I've taken, this. I've taken the ASVAB. Yeah. I went to like the, mil I think I, it was three of them. I went to the Marines, the Navy and, uh, and the army at various points because I, I just wanted some sort of adventure. Yeah. Every time I got talked out of it, either by my parents or I don't know, there was something, but like, you know, I walked in there, I'm 17 years old. I want an adventure. And the, like, the, I remember the Marine Corps recruiter yeah. in particular was just looking oh, Marine Corps recruiters are always, they're, they're, they're looking for guys who want adventure. Dude, he was like, he was like, yeah, you can, you can pick your job. And like, I was so dumb. Thank God I didn't do this. I probably would have been dead. I was like, I think it'd be cool to drive a Humvee. Like, this is the level of intelligence of me walking into this. And he's like, yeah, you could have that job. <laughs> I, I like I did well on the ASVAB. I could have yeah. done a lot better, but yeah, he was just trying to get me in. And obviously I didn't go. And then nine 11 happened shortly thereafter. So who knows what would have happened? So, so pick us up from there after, yeah. after high school. So how adventure comes about. So I'm putting myself through college. I'm working a full-time job and going to college in the evening and I'm still, I'm in church and I, I'm meeting with my pastor regularly because I've, I've always been an all or nothing person. And anyways, he comes to me, he's like, Hey, you know, I'm getting ready. I've finally worked my way through junior college and, and gotten enough credits doing this, which was, Where, where's your faith at at this time? Yeah. Fully serving God, man. Like all in, all in fully serving God. Church is central to my life. Uh, God is central to my life. And he goes, Hey man, I've been praying for you. And, um, I just heard Bible college. And so my immediate reaction was like, oh, that's cool. But like, I'm not going to do that. I'm getting ready to transfer to, it was Cal State San Marcos. I was going to transfer to, and he's like, uh, and it's in England. Ooh, the reason I brought up that sense of adventure is because like so oftentimes we have these desires and we don't like, we, we can't clarify. You were thinking like Biola. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. I'm thinking he's going to send me to like Oklahoma. Like I'm going right. to go to Tulsa, Jerusalem and like go get my Bible college and probably a wife, you know? And, and that wasn't interesting to me, but dude, go live in the UK. Like I had already said, I'm like, man, I want to live in Europe one day. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. So now this opportunity comes up and you know, opportunity meets desire. And so I'm like, Oh, well, maybe I can put college on hold after all, you know? And so next thing I know, man, I'm 21 years old and I'm flying out to the UK and I can, you, you talk about moments that are burned in your head. I think it's terminal three or four at LAX. They have this like flipboard uh -huh. where like, like at the train stations where it goes like, tch, 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 and I can remember being 21. I'm wearing a Yankees hat. Right. And I've got like these big suitcases. My dad's <laughs> told me all these stories about how like, you gotta be careful in Europe. Everybody will steal your stuff. So I'm like clinging to my stuff. Like, like I've got to keep this stuff with me. I'm going to get it as soon as I fly over there. And like, I've said goodbye to my, my sister and my parents. And I'm on the other side of this rail and I look up at this board and it goes tick, 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 and it says Heathrow and it has my flight there. And like all the realization of like, dude, you're about to leave everything, you know, settles in. And I just remember this whole, like, it was such an intense moment of realization of what I was about to do. And, uh, yeah. And off I went to Bible college, man. And, and that's, so that's, that was at 21. I was at 21 years old. And that's, that's actually where I ended up doing the very Christian thing and meeting my wife. <laughs> so like fulfilled that stereotype. So, so tell us about Bible college real quick, man. Bible college was awesome. It was a leadership. Um, 
it had a real leadership emphasis. That's something else I should say. I always felt like a leader in my life, whether yeah. it was on sports teams as a kid or just playing with your friends in the neighborhood. Like I always felt that. And so at Bible college, it was a very small course, um, really focused on a couple things on covenant, on servant leadership and on just honing the skills. They were big on like the fivefold, like apostolic ministry and stuff like that. So we, we had that. So I spent a year there with people from all over the world. Like, you know, obviously a bunch of British people, including you know my now wife, people from Africa, lots of hilarious, um, cert, like stories that came out of that. And also, uh, me realizing how sheltered I was and yeah. how, just how American I was, you get into that environment and you start doing things and people just like laugh at you or like give you these looks like, dude, you're, you know, you're an idiot. <laughs> and like, that's good for you. It is good at, for you. at that age. So that was sort of my, uh, it, it helped me to grow up a little bit. I would say I probably could have done grown up a lot more, but I didn't. So how did you go from, you know, at this point in your life and, and Bible college to being depressed? Yeah, that, so that's, you know, it's a great question. You know, it's so funny, man. So one of the reasons why you want to get yourself great friends and alignments in your life, uh, which we are covering alignments on the next Mindset Mastery, which I'm very much looking forward to, is because I remember Garrett, and this was years after, you were the first person that ever said to me, so why did you get depressed? And I had never even asked myself that question. Yeah. So since you asked me that years ago, I have done more reflecting on it. And I've, I've looked at how I got there. And when we had Pastor Keith on, he talked about if you don't manage your frustration well, it can lead you to be disillusioned eventually. And disillusioned yeah. leads to discontentment. And then you can become depressed. That's really what happened with me. But the way that that looked is, so I had, when I, like I said, I'm an all or nothing person. So when I was in Bible college, I was not just like over there like, hey, I'm just here, like show up and do the minimum. I was the guy that was like, let's pray for people. Let's see them get healed. Like, hey, guys, why are we having leisure time? Let's go down to the mall and, like, just try and talk to people and see if we can, like, lead them to the Lord. Like, I was, you know, I was all in. Like, I'm studying yeah. John G. Lake and, he, and, like, all the miracles that he's doing. I'm like the dude that, at this point, you know, the Internet is not what it is now. So I bought, like, volumes of books, and I'm like the dude that has his, his desk set up so he can just come back to it and pick up where he was left off studying. So like interlinear, you know, I was really into the life and times of Jesus, the Messiah, which is an Alfred Edershine book, which I would still recommend. And like all sorts of other volumes of like different things. So I'm like, I'm like really getting into it. And so I went all in, like, I, I can safely say there was no part of me that was not trying to learn this, but here's the real thing that I hope you as a listener takes away from this. What I didn't realize, I had some very clear expectations of how I thought things should go. Um, you know, I like your life or well, well in, in my faith and my life. Okay. So like thoughts like this, when Jesus was walking the earth, everyone who came to him got healed. So like, we should see that now. Right. And that was my, you know, my belief and it was you know rooted in a good desire. Um, and then I was also, you know, I also thought like, okay, and you know, we're going to, we're going to see success. We're going to see lives change. We're going to, you know, and like really had this very, I would say romantic view of things and that I could take some scriptures out of context and say like, well, yeah, look, it's right here. But because I didn't really know how to uh, handle the word of God, and because what I what I was looking at wasn't like I would I would highlight certain things, but not look at the whole text. So like, yes, everybody who came to Jesus got healed, but there's also scriptures that talk about through patient endurance you bear fruit. And right. I also ignored the fact that Jesus' ministry started when he was thirty. You know, like what did he do for the first thirty years? He's the Son of God, and you're telling me that he wasn't ready until he was thirty. You know what I mean? So like I would ignore that part and then just look at the the parts about where everybody's getting healed. So what do you think happened? I go out, I start throwing myself all in and like, dude, it's tough when you're getting rejected. You're praying for people. Nothing's happening. You're sharing your faith and people are just like, you know, England's a a cold, harsh place, man, from a cultural standpoint. A lot of people, they don't have a lot of hope there. No, there isn't a lot of hope and they don't want to, you know, and and they didn't want to know, like you don't walk up to somebody out of the blue and just start saying stuff to them. So like just a lot of rejection. And then and then also, you know, a real lack of understanding of alignments. So, like, I'm slowly having my faith chipped away at because I'm like, well, this should work, and it doesn't. So what, what's my logical conclusion? Well, what I believed wasn't true. And right? what were you doing at this time? So Bible college was a year. What are you doing at this time? Well, so I had come back to the, I had come back uh, to the, to the U S for a year. And then me and my, me and rain got married and then we moved over there. So we'd moved over there. We were working with her parents and her family on the, on a business that they had and we're going to church with them and just very much like we were very tight on money, like not really bringing anything. And in. you were doing soccer stuff at the same time, right? I was playing, I was playing soccer, like with, you know, in a league, but nothing, nothing of any noteworthiness. It was like, you got to over there. Um, it's like people going for, to going to the gun range here. Like you don't think anything. Sure. Of it. It's just like, Oh, you guys are going on Saturday. Yeah. That's what we do on Saturdays. So how many years did it take from the time that you left Bible college, Bible college for this full uh, disillusionment to happen and you yeah. fall into depression? I, I would say by the time I was 
approaching 25. So when I was 24, uh, probably 24 and a half, I really, it had fallen apart by that point. So 21, I'm at Bible college, get married at 23, have really tough financial times where we're tight on everything. And my expectation, like I said, my expectations for going out to the UK were great. We were going to do some great things in business and in ministry and all these things. And that didn't happen. And so what's, you know, what's really interesting is like, I, you not, not as this isn't meant to say like, you know, this is what everyone needs, but really what you needed uh, at that time in your life was a lot of the stuff that we talk about in mindset mastery. Cause mm-hmm. it seems like what, what happened to you in your life was you were like, okay, I believe in God and I'm going to get married and do the stuff mm-hmm. that I, and then everything should just work out. Yeah. And, and, and you come to a place where you're wondering why is it not working? That, out? That's literally exactly what happened. And, and I look back now and I can say like my expectations and what I, I was, I was missing so much. There was so much that I didn't know that I didn't know. You know what I mean? And there was, I had this expectation that truthfully isn't like biblically, it's not biblically sound, but in my mind that was enough then couple that with alignments. Like I'm in a culture where there's not a lot of people who have like a true deep faith. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm working now out. I had to go get a job. So I left working with the family business. I'm out working with people just to try and make ends meet. Um, and you know, what's happening? I'm 24 and a half. I'm open-minded. People are telling me their philosophies of life. I didn't really realize it was their philosophies of life, but they're saying like, Oh, this and that. And I'm kind of like, huh? Okay. And so I start hanging around. You, you didn't have a mentor no. or someone speaking into you. And Correct. so you're just absorbing everything that's around yeah, you. Yeah, I'm absorbing everything that's around me. And, um, and and I'm not looking. I don't know the to ask the question of like, how's that working out for you? Right. You know, a great effectiveness question. And to look at someone's life. And one of the pieces of advice we get from uh, Pastor Keith is you shouldn't take advice from somebody that you don't want their life. Right. Like if you don't want what they have, don't take their advice. Well, that's really simple. I tell that to my kids all the time. But this time, you know, I'm like, well, they're, you know, they're out having fun, whatever. So like my faith is slowly getting chipped away at. So what's happening? I'm becoming, you know, I'm adopting a really limited thinking. I'm not, I'm getting worse for Rian as a husband, you know, just a couple years in, uh, I'm, I'm literally slowly adopting a poverty mentality. And over the course of the years, I remember very specifically, there was a moment when I, you know, like I said, I grew up with my parents telling me about how much they believed in me. And I remember I sat there one day and I was just, you know, I was sat there and I was miserable. At this point, every day was the same. Uh, I felt like I had no hope and there was truly like nothing I really looked forward to. The only time I would drink and the reason I would drink is because when I would drink, I would feel something. And I, and I don't know if you've ever been there, Garrett, but I'm sure there's people out there. Sometimes just to feel anything was amazing because I was yeah, so wow. numb all the time that even if it was like something bad or something just stupid, like, oh, I'm going to get really drunk. Like I was just happy to feel because I just, I wasn't feeling yeah. at all. You, you had lost your sense of purpose. I had. Yeah. And, and, and so that was the whole point. So I'm sitting there with this kid who's grown up with have parents tell him you can do anything. And I remember sitting there. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I am just like everybody else. I was like, maybe I'm not special. There's nothing about me. And, you know, I'm just like everybody else. Like, and I, I literally felt like the cracks starting to form in the foundation of who I was as a person. And it kind of scared me because this was a thought I'd not had before, but I was also like, no, that's true. Was this the low point or would you feel like there, like years of that thinking, there was a different low point? Like what's like the absolute bottom in that season? Mm. That was, um, no, I think, I think that was probably about the lowest. I mean, there was. I mean, just sometimes when you're thinking like I'm driving to work, I'm on a freeway or highway, however you want to say it. And I'm like, genuinely like, you know what, if I just crashed my car, I wouldn't have to go to work. And then I could just like, you know, then I could just lay around. And like, I, I remember there was a, there was a, a point. Um, so those types of thoughts were regular. I would say what I described to you about having that crack in my foundation. One of my good friends who I'm still close with out there brought me home this pamphlet um, about depression because he, mm-hmm. you know, he knew he could see what was going on with me. And he was like, He's like, look, man, maybe you just need to get some help. Like, look at this. I remember I read this pamphlet and it was very much kind of like a disease, like that I had caught some disease and there was something that could be done for it and I could go get treatment. And I remember so consciously in this moment, I can still tell you exactly where I was. We were living with my wife's parents. So like at this point, you know, we're not, once again, not thriving. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, and I'm, I'm looking at this pamphlet in a, in a room in my wife's parents' house and I'm looking at it and I'm just realizing I could give away all the responsibility for this. Like I could, I could, it would be a release. Like I wouldn't have to feel like I need to figure this out because I mean, I didn't want to be depressed. I hated the way I I was. I didn't really like myself at this point and I wanted to just be rid of it. Like I I just wanted to get out and I felt like this would be like pressing the eject button, but there was something in me that I was like, no, if I do that, like 
I'm giving all the responsibility to something else. And at that point, now I'm becoming a victim and I'm losing. You, you didn't want to give up that competitive spirit that you had. Yeah. And, and the last, the last bit that I had, like I would say my hope was so like my first child is named hope. Yeah. And it's funny because my kids' names are kind of prophetic without me realizing it. Now, Hope was very intentional because I knew I needed some at the time. And so if I couldn't find anywhere else, at least I had a kid that, that was named Hope. And so that's why we named her that. And it's so funny because fast forward a little bit in the story, we, when I had my second kid, I named her Evangeline, which means good news because I felt like we were in such a better place in life. And, you know, obviously good news and the best news is, you know, evangel, like evangelism, yeah. the gospel, right? So my third kid, when I'm still not serving God, is named Elijah, which is the Lord is my God. And guess yeah. what happened shortly after we had him? The Lord became my God again. Like, it's so, so crazy. So after, so basically we've got Bible college yeah. and just a season of disillusionment where Massive. you lose your faith yeah. and get depressed. And then at some point you guys move back to America. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, so I'm planning or I'm trying lots of things. So the thing, if you looked at my like highlight reel in the UK, you'd be like, Oh, you had a great time. I'm playing like American football over there. Like nationally in a league and I'm one of the better players and like winning championships and stuff like that and getting to play in big soccer stadiums. I had a radio show briefly over there. I played ice hockey. I was in a band for like six years. So there's some things you could point to like, Oh, you're doing great. But these were all my way of just trying to find something, some sense of purpose. I'm playing soccer the whole time while I'm doing that. I'm just trying to like find something to bring me joy. And it was always looking outside. Like, how do I get this to change? Because I hated the way I felt. I hated yeah. waking up like that. So I had always said to Rian, I don't want to stay in the UK. And she wanted to have our first kid before we moved back to the US. So finally, we get to the point where we're like, you know, I think it's the right time for us to have a kid. Well, I also know that once we do that, that means that like it's we're on the we're starting to kind of like descend in or should I say go down the runway to take off and go back to the US, which I still held hope that if I could get out of England, like I knew that America would have more opportunity for us. Like I felt very confident about yeah. that. And so I was sitting there working a job I hated, uh, which was which was every job at that point, you know, I was just, uh, this, that was more to do with me than it was the job. And I started thinking, I'm like, how do I not do something that I hate for the rest of my life? That means nothing to me. Like I want to do something that I have passion in. And I was thinking, I was like, how do I use what I've got in the UK to help me in the U S and I was like, well, what if I could be like a soccer coach? I like, yeah, I wasn't great at soccer. I was always a really good athlete, but I wasn't like, wasn't like a star player. So is this like a year before you guys are this coming is, back? Yeah, or? this is literally a year and eight months before we came back. I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start I'm going to start taking soccer coaching classes because what's how unique is that to be an American with like English qualifications? That would be a good competitive advantage. Yeah. So I head out into the world of soccer coaching. And as soon as I open my mouth, everybody knows I'm not from there, which means I'm open to a lot more ridicule. I'm not as good of a player as them. And, and in these courses, you perform, you play. Well, yeah, it, it did. I remember I, I had a very conscious conversation with myself and what I would say to people. So if you're a person, we've had a lot of messages since last week's message, uh, podcast on anxiety and depression. I appreciate those of you that have reached out to us on, on, to me personally, to our Instagram handle, also to like our email addresses and stuff. Thank you for all your messages, guys. They mean a lot to us. And I hope that what I'm sharing is helping you. If you're in the place where you are, you've been dealing with anxiety, you've been dealing with depression. What I would say to you, just start something, whatever it is, just set a course for yourself and just start walking it. Because I didn't realize at the time what I was doing, but I was still miserable. I wasn't like feeling super like having a kid was, you know, great, but not, I was not in the place where I could really fully appreciate it for, for how, what a miracle it is to have a child. If, if you want to destine a ship to crash, kill its engine. Yeah, exactly. Well, right. So, you can't, you can't steer a ship with no thrust. Right. And so soccer coaching, you know, I told you my, my mom instilled belief in us and they also instilled a great work ethic in us. And I always had a good drive, but that had kind of waned, uh, or it was being expressed towards the band and very, you know, misguided, um, and so finally I get to, I get to this, this place where I'm like, dude, I could do that. Like if I got those badges, that that's like, it gave me a little bit of hope. So I go and I do these courses, I get ridiculed a little bit, but then I look around and I realize I'm like all these people have been playing this game their whole life. They have knowledge that they take because for granted. I imagine all the guys that you're in those certifications with are guys who washed out of trying to, you know, yeah, there's, there's, there's some ex pros. There's other people that are like me that have just played, but it is, it's ex pros. It's people who played at a certain level. And so like, you know, when you do these coaching, you have to learn to coach with players. So you all take turns being the players for each other. And I used to just be so nervous because I knew I was like the worst player out there, you know? And the one thing I was good at was defending because that's like mostly athleticism. So I would just go real hard on that. Yeah. But I t my takeaway from that whole thing is I remember saying to myself, I'm like, these guys know way more than me. If I don't work three times as hard as them, I'm never going to catch up. And so I just put everything I had into that. And I would go out and like 
seek out um, professional academies and just be like, hey, can I come watch you? And so I started to make friendships because there was people who were nice enough to be like, yeah, sure, come along. And so I was really like diving into all sorts of nuances. And it, it was it was what I put a lot of energy into. And I actually started coaching out there so I could get some experience. And, and that ended up being a really good thing for me because it gave me a sense of purpose. It only takes a little bit of getting into like a new subject like that. Yes. That like you don't, you don't see it in the first week or the first few weeks, but you start to see a little bit of results. You start to meet people who, yeah. who are good at something and you start to explore, man, there's so much possibility that I didn't know existed. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if, that, if you feel like you're in a place where you're stuck, man, I would just tell you just start going down a path. And here's the thing. You can't stop, though. Like I, this, it took me a couple years just to get back to the point where we then flew back to America. And then when we landed in America, I spent probably the next two to three years continuing to coach. You know, so this was like, you know, five years of my life where I was just all in on this. Um, and, and it really did give me like, that was my plan when I came back to the U S and I said 10 years, I came back, I had no job and I was in a busted up place. Mentally, I was still busted up, but I was starting to pursue some of this growth mindset. Cause I was in like seeker mode. I knew I was, I knew I was broken and dysfunctional and I needed something and I wasn't looking for God because I'd already figured out that that wasn't true and that didn't work but I was like starting to look for like okay you know quotes that can like give me some like get me get me going like oh I like that quote yeah that's true like and starting to develop some growth habits and that was sort of the seeds of of, uh I would reap later on so we mentioned a little bit of it earlier so but just pick us up where now you're back in America. So you yeah. move, you move back, yeah. And, and what happens from there? So I move back. I take a shot with contacting some of the local clubs to go coach and with you them. Moved in, you move in with Be, your parents. I'm with my parents, yeah. yeah. And so fortunately, I got in with some of those clubs. Now the good thing about having nothing is you don't really have a lot of bills either. <laughs> so yeah. like we didn't really have a lot of bills. So any money I made was like great. We get to keep it. So well, look, money. Yeah, look at that. So like we we lived with my parents for a few months, and then I can't remember if it was like four or six months or whatever it was. But eventually, oh, actually, you know what? I took a job I hated. I forgot about this. I took a job where I was cold calling people to uh, give them high interest loans for people with bad credit. Oh my goodness! And I would, I would, I would just to get my shot at coaching. I would work six a.m. to three p.m. cold calling people. Hundred cold calls a day. Worst job I ever had in my life. And then I would get off. I would drive down to these fields down in OB. If you know where Rob yeah. Field is, I would drive from Miramar to OB. I would change in my car on the way over there, and then I would get out and coach for three hours, and then I would go home get home a little after eight, eat, fall asleep at nine, wake up and do it all again. And I did that for six months so I could work myself into the position where I could make enough money so I could just coach. So like I had this deep drive. Like I don't want like, I worked That's really tough, hard. That's a tough season. It was a very tough season. And, and I, I didn't feel proud of what I was doing at this job. Also at that job, there was some, I'll just say nefarious characters. Like I had not, even with all the debauchery I had been around in England. And when you're in a band, it's drugs, it's alcohol, it's all sorts of stuff going on. These guys, I thought that was like, oh, these are just, you know, that's just England, whatever. I came back and I found people who were like, oh, that's all they do? We do that and then some. And these were the people I was yeah. working with. And I was like, this isn't me. Like, I, I knew that that was not where I want to be. So well, that it just helps you realize that this isn't where I'm supposed to stay. Yeah, yeah big time. So I got out of there. You will never see that job on my resume uh, <laughs> because I, it was just something I had to do <laughs> to make ends meet. So I remember when we were able to finally get our first apartment, how proud I was to be able to give Hope for the first time in her life, her own, her own bedroom. That was like a real uh, defining moment. How many, how many years was it from the time you guys got here? You're living with your parents. Do you guys get your own place? It was probably, we probably got our own place. I think about six months later or six, like six or eight months later, we, we got our own place. Um, and that was like a moment, man. So, yeah. you know, cause it felt like, cause I remember telling, I mean, think about it, you're leaving England and people are like, Oh, you guys are moving back to the U S like, what's what you, that for? What are you going to do? Plan? I'm like, well, and I would tell them and like, people were not very good with their poker face. They're like, Oh, well, hey, hope that works out for you. Yeah. Like, okay, so you've quit everything. You don't have a job lined up, and you're just going to move out and live with your parents, and you got a kid. Figure it, it out. Yeah, hey, great job, man. You're really killing it. So you, so after that, you're coaching soccer for a while. I'm coaching soccer for a while. One of the things I will say, man, um, competitive spirit, but also the competitive spirit was what drove me, but here's what I would hope everybody can take away. Whatever you're doing, truthfully, and I, I, I mean whatever you're doing, do it to the absolute best of your ability. Like, and, and I'm not saying like, oh, the best of your ability means that you're going to have to look outside of what you know. Yeah. Because that's, that's good. Uh, so, so you're going to have to go search out people who know more than you we have, or go on the internet or, or really pay attention. And when you do that, I promise you, if you just are excellent with whatever you have, it always, 
always leads to more. I own now one of the three companies I own is a production company. We do awesome work. We get to work with really cool brands, Rawlings, TaylorMade, uh, HubSpot, like all these cool brands. We get to shoot amazing high-end stuff. And I can tell you that when I, back in 2014, whenever I was like a marketing and operations person for a semi-pro soccer team in San Diego, I realized that we needed video and we didn't have anybody and we didn't have any budget. So I just pulled out my DSLR and started teaching myself. Never in my wildest dreams when I'm sitting there on iMovie trying to clip together this interview that I thought would be good for our, for Facebook, did I think that I would one day be like working with, you know, pro athletes, like fast forward a few years from that, I'm interviewing Pele. You know what I mean? Like literally one of the, and like just this year with like Ozzy Smith and from, from the call center to yeah, Pele yeah, in a few years, in a few years. Yes. But, but the, I'm telling you, it's, it's because I was like, I was all in on stuff. Like people oftentimes will say like, that doesn't work. And here's the thing. If you haven't gone all in on it, you don't know whether you think you can or you think you can't. You're right. You're right. Exactly. But it's like, if you, if you were going to, I said this to the mighty men a few weeks ago, if you go in and you say, Hey, I hired, I hired a coach to help me get in shape. G right. Like I'm going to put some muscle on and he gives you the plan. Right. And then you go away and, and he comes and checks in on you. I was like, Hey, how's it going? You're like, Oh, it's not going that great. Well, what's going on? Are you, did are you eating the way I told you? Like I'm getting pretty close. Well, what about the workouts? Are you doing the workouts I told you to? Well, I don't know, man. I saw this thing on YouTube that I like better, so I've been doing that. Can you say that that coach doesn't work? No. No, but people do that all the time. All the time. All the time. They don't follow the plan, and they're completely unaware of, of where they're falling short on their own. And look, I am not like... You have pushed me to a whole new level of excellence, which I'm very grateful for. Annoyingly so, might I say sometimes, <laughs> the level of excellence that you pushed me to. And I'm grateful for that. So you don't have to get it 100% right, but you just need to have that desire. Like if, if I can encourage you of anything, do everything you can with what's in your hand right now, and I promise you it'll lead to more. It's a, it's a biblical and, principle. And so that's exactly what you did. And how did you – so you don't coach soccer anymore. How did you go from coaching no. soccer – you know, you, you started to get into that with your camera. How'd you go from right. coaching soccer to what you do now? Well, I was always like, I was running businesses. I, I ran a business in the UK. I was doing some marketing over there. And then when I came back, I was, you know, I wanted to just do soccer, but then they were like, oh, you, you've run businesses and done marketing stuff before you can help us with this. So I would start running businesses again that were in coaching, but you know, I'm doing all the same email marketing and different things that I, I had started to dabble into. And so then I got Actually, the semi-pro team, once again, that I was helping out as, as VP of Marketing Operations, their, their shirt sponsor met me and liked the work that I did. I actually oversaw a shoot for them. And as always, I was really like dialed in and wanted to make sure it was, all, it was excellent. And they saw the work and they're like, wow. So then they headhunted me. So I actually ended up moving to Rhode Island for that job. Uh, and like my very first day on the job, my very first trip with them was the one where I went to the UK to so talk about full circle. Yeah. I go back to the UK now to my favorite soccer stadium, Manchester United stadium. And I walk out on the field, like where the players walk through. And, and then that night I go and sit down with Pele and I'm like, I, you know, what just happened. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I was like, you know, the average person and it was for a big game, uh, event over that they have, um, man, a soccer aid. They do this big charity game where they get ex-professionals to come play and they get celebrities and they mix together and they do this thing called Soccer Aid. And everybody knows about it. It's every two years. And it's at, it's at Old Trafford. So I went from being like somebody who would watch that on TV to now I'm there in the hotel with all these celebrities, like the One Direction people and like Jose Mourinho. You know, if you're a soccer fan, you know who he is, but he was then the new coach of United. And I'm in the hotel with these guys and I'm hanging out with Pele's manager. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, you talk about like I've gone from I watched this on TV to like here come behind the veil like and we're gonna buy you drinks like yeah. this it was just this crazy like come up I don't know how else to describe it so but it was it was a real becoming moment and I'm kind of going what am I doing here but this is actually amazing where do, at at what point in this um, where you're transitioning into things are starting to work in your life yeah at what point did you kind of take inventory and and really ask yourself how did I get here. Um, I don't know that I did, man. I think that that's one of the things that I would encourage people to do is to have a takeaway mentality. I was always introspective and I would make some notes, but I am really conscious now of anytime something happens that I stop and I, I review and I connect the dots. I didn't have a gratitude practice at this point. And I think a gratitude practice will help you to look back and you start to connect dots better. So I, I didn't, I didn't. And there was, because, because I didn't, Garrett, there was still a lot of really broken thinking. I will tell you that I was starting to grow and have success with my, in my career and do some cool things. My family had grown. I, we'd had Evie at this point. So I've got two kids. I was still pretty broken towards Rian. You know, I, I still didn't feel that sense of connection. I was still, if I could sum it up, I was waiting for things on the outside to change the way I felt on the inside, and I could not figure out why that didn't happen. And you're still away from God at this point. Oh, yeah. I'm away from God. I'm still, I'm still thinking, like, 
but when I get here, then it'll be different. That that's the that's the the if then like right. thought process that I had going on, and that continued to drive me crazy, man. All the way up until you know, I used to be like, oh well, you know, if I could just get like you know this X amount of, of dollars in the bank, I'll feel better, sure. right? And then I would get it. And all the same anxiety of like, oh, well, what if you, what if everybody fired you tomorrow? And like, what if, you know, what if this happened? Okay, well, now I need to get this much. And then I would go and do it. If you, if you never learn how to get rid of the boogeyman, the boogeyman will grow with you. Right. That's a hundred, yeah, hundred percent accurate. Dude, why are you getting all the best one liners <laughs> on my podcast? And I'm just kidding. No, but, so talk, talk about how you went from, so you're at this season in your life where you're finding success, things are starting to work. Talk about how you got from there to finding your faith again yeah. and how you got to Texas. Yeah, okay, I will. So, um, so yeah, so I through all the course of this, I'd started my own marketing consultancy. I'd been working with different companies. Like, just success had kind of grown, right? And to quote my man, Tony Robbins, success without <laughs> fulfillment is the greatest failure. Yeah. And that is what I was experiencing. I had no fulfillment. I'm experiencing these modicums of success, and I'm just, I'm still so broken, man. And so we... What happens is COVID hits, right? So the way I, it's funny. I feel like Noah because. Are the, you guys in church at all? Um, we would go to, um, it's now Awaken in yeah. San Diego, but we it was called C3 back then. We would go every once in a while, but because I was coaching or I was trapped, like I would just, I very rarely would go. Rian would take the girls and I was like, whatever, that's there. You know, I, I would go and like, truthfully, when I was there, the one thing I appreciated about it was that they did things excellently yeah. and I appreciate that, but I would use that as time for me to like, you know, collect my thoughts about what I was going to do in business or whatever I was focused on. I, I was really focused on business and more than anything else at this period in my life. And so I would just like be taking notes on my phone, not about the message. <laughs> so yeah. like, I was there in church physically, but not mentally. So how we came back to how we eventually got to Texas and how God literally broke back into our life all started with a flood, much like my man Noah. Uh, we had just had our third child. He was a little over a month old and I was sleeping downstairs because we only had a two bedroom place. The girls shared a room and Rian needed him close because they were breastfeeding. So I was sleeping downstairs in like our three-season patio or whatever. And she comes and wakes me up at 1.30. She's like, Nick, there's water everywhere. I need your help. And I'm like, oh, whatever. And I get up and I'm like, oh, there's a lot of water. And like, so I don't know if you've ever had a house flood, but like water's coming down from everywhere. We're cleaning everything up, uh, pots and pans. Like we used every towel we had in the house. <laughs> so that's when I knew. I was like, I think this might be a little bit more than us. Um, and I remember I said to Rian at the time, I was like, you know what? I don't know how, but I think there's going to be a silver lining to this cloud. So, so what, what, what was the flood issue? What was uh, so, so they had shut the water off. Uh, the, there had been a break in the water main. This is what I mean. Like God orchestrated. You can't yeah. convince me. God orchestrated us coming to Texas, 100%. They had shut off a water main in our, in our, we lived in some condominiums. We bought a house in San Diego, which was a huge accomplishment, you know, by an overpriced house. That had, uh, anyways, and they had shut off the water because they'd had a break in the main. So they're like, oh, yeah, it's going to come back on tonight, like 8 o'clock. And so we were teaching Evie and how to wash her hands after going to the bathroom. Well, little did we know that out of habit, she'd gone to the bathroom and then flipped up the water to wash her hands. I didn't, oh. No water came on. It's just she was like, oh, yeah, forgets about it. The water comes back on at like 1130 at night. We're asleep. So basically her upstairs, uh, her upstairs sink had just run for like two hours straight. Oh, and it no. was just everywhere, man, like everywhere. So we then called the insurance company the next day. I've never been through anything like this in my life. They were so helpful. Shout out to Liberty Mutual. And, and like, <laughs> so then they, so then they were like, oh yeah, we're going to, you know, you've got a young baby. We got to get you out of here. There could be mold. Well, sure enough, man, like everything that we had pretty much got destroyed. Like I'm talking couches, like TVs, tables that my grandparents had left for us. The recliners, my parent, my grandparents had passed away and I used to love their recliners. And it was like kind of like a way to connect with them. That Those got ruined. So that was kind of a bummer. Like all this furniture just destroyed, right? And we have to move out of the house. So we go move into these houses being paid for by insurance money. Well, San Diego insurance money like doesn't last as long as yeah. the repairs did. Um, so my house is being renovated. We then go live with some people that are like our second parents. You, you know, Bill, you've met them. We live with them. Well, then what happens? This is uh, March of 2020, G. We all know what's coming. Yeah, COVID hits, and we're living with our friends in, uh, we're, once again, living with friends who are like parents to me, living in their house. Yeah. You see a pattern here? Yeah. Reverting back to sure. going back to going back with parents. I'm like, we're just going to stay here while they finish renovating our house. Okay. 
COVID hits. What a blessing it was because instead of being like isolated on our own, yeah, you're with some people. we're with a bunch of people that we love and they have like six kids who like, you know, their oldest son was my best friend growing up. That's how I'm uh, connected in with them. So we actually had a great time during COVID, man. We have a house of like 20 people. We're just like, well, I just, you know, lost half my income, but I don't really have to worry about the roof over my head because I'm, you know, you guys are letting me stay here. So thank you. Let's just have some barbecue and have a great time. So like yeah. we're doing all this. Well, partially the way through COVID, I, I had been headhunted potentially for a job in Austin, Texas in February. And I had talked to Rain about, would you be open to going? And she was like, honestly, yeah, because she, she was, my wife is such a soldier. Cause I was, mis- I wasn't great for her, man. You know, and she was just wanting, praying for me. Little did I know she's going on these walks and praying for me the whole time that I would, come back to be the man that she knows I can be and so we go we go uh live with our friends and like yeah you kind of you kind of sold uh reen a, a false bill of goods from from who you were in bible college to dude, who you were for the next decade really seriously I you know what yeah she's honestly my wife is I I, I can't even say enough good things about her she's uh, she's amazing. Like she's so faithful. I've watched her go through 55 hours of labor and still not give in to what they were trying to tell her. That was against what she wanted. She has a way stronger will than anybody I know. And she, she outlasted me. So well done, Rian. <laughs> so anyways, I'll, I'll be quick. Cause I, I don't want to be, I'm probably being overly detailed here. So apologies guys, but basically what happens? So that opened us up to the idea of Texas. A couple months into COVID, I, I look at Rian. Now you got to remember, I've got an empty house, right? I've got a bunch of insurance money coming to me. All my furniture has been ruined. So like I have like, you know, a U-Haul full of boxes of the stuff that we packed up and I work remotely. So I look at Rian one day and I go, hey, who's checked on you during COVID? She's like, no one. I was like, yeah, no one's checked on me unless I check on them apart from my parents and the people that we live with. And so we just realized like we don't have the life here that we thought, which is actually really sad because yeah. I had friends that I'd known since I was in eighth grade and that had, you know, I won't go into some of the different ways that they had decided to not be my friend anymore over the course of uh whatever happened but it all happens for a reason uh some friends are there for a reason some for a season some for a lifetime and i thought they were lifetime friends but they weren't um so anyways we eventually decide you know what like let's start being open so like i had a friend that i had met out here three years prior in uh when i was on a business trip and he he's little did i know christian guy right really successful businessman spoke to me in a way that I was longing. Like he said things to me that I was like, man, I've not been around people that I, I talk like this. I love the way this guy's talking. He's talking yeah. about like how to, how to execute things, how to build a team, like speaking languages that I just naturally felt attracted to and had nothing like that in my life in San Diego. Well, I kept in touch with him just all these years. And so finally he was just texting me and he's like, he starts sending me houses. Look what you can get in Dallas. And I'm looking at the price and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. So we decided to take an exploratory trip to come out to Dallas and we were going to go to Austin as well because like we had talked about Austin before and I left California for very for some very specific reasons we were very clear about why we wanted to move here we wanted to find community we wanted it to be affordable and we wanted to get back to traditional values because California wasn't for us with what they with what the the values were out there and he said look if you want that don't go to Austin because you're going to get it's it's going to be like California junior so we come out to Dallas and I've never experienced anything like it G I feel like someone took a switch with our life and just swapped it over. Like if you could just like, like the way that you had those power switches from off to on, we went from having no friends to like, we're on this two week exploratory trip. And suddenly we're like, Oh, these people that Rian knows from church actually have moved, already moved out here. And they're inviting us over to come over for 4th of July. I'm like, dude, I didn't even have plans for 4th of July in California. And I've been out here in a place <laughs> where I'm visiting. And then like other people are like, Oh, we'll take you out for dinner. So suddenly we come out and we have like this quote unquote thriving social life during this two week visit. I've never experienced anything like it. And what was supposed to be an exploratory trip turned out with us just putting an offer on, on multiple houses. We got outbid and we didn't get it then. And I don't need to go into the specifics of how we got uh, the house. But I, what I will say is I'm unbelieving, not believing in God. I'm willing to go to church when we move to Texas only so I can find friends. I have no intention of like anything with faith. And these people that uh, we prayed over us that we would get a house and they prayed that we would get it for less than asking price. I've just been outbid on multiple properties. In my head, I'm like, this is such a typical Christian prayer. This is such a load of crap. Like yeah. whatever. You guys are just saying whatever. Well, exactly what they prayed for is what ended up happening, right? So we get oh, this yeah, house. Yeah, we get this house that's like exactly what my wife wants. And it and it was anyways, that was amazing. So we move out to Texas. We walk into Elevate Life Church for the first time where I hear <laughs> Pastor Keith. Now, at this point, I've gotten into Tony Robbins. Uh, I've talked about this before on other podcasts, so I'm not going to go into it. But I had 
I really was tired of not feeling connected to my wife. So I sought out cognitive behavioral therapy and uh, everything that that guy did ended up pointing the arrows back at me. And guess what? When I got better, suddenly my relationship with my wife got better. Funny how that works. So Rena and I are starting to feel more connected. We're like making this plan to move out to Texas. We're finally like feeling like our purposes are aligned together. We're growing closer. I'm getting better. And I walk into Elevate Life Church and what do I hear Pastor Keith talking about? The way that you think, which... I had never, even in all my Bible college, and I was around some great men of God, some great preaching, had never heard someone talk about thinking so deep. Well, I was open to this because I'm like, dude, I'm into cognitive behavioral therapy. It's like, what we talk about all the time because it's what we talked about today. At yes. Yeah, well, exactly. So but I, so I'm sitting there like, I'm like, okay, I'm fresh off cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm like into Tony Robbins. I'm reading books because like always, I'm all in on things. I don't just yeah. kind of go, oh, that was cool. I've bought books. I'm like reading up and studying. Then this guy's talking about ideologies and the things that we're seeing in the world and how it boils down to the way that you think. And I'm like, okay, well, hey, looks like I'll find some friends here and I'll actually like the pastor. Great. And he's jacked. Like he's not like khaki wearing guy that rode up in a, in a station wagon. He's like all about it, a little bit crazy, which I like, you know, cause I feel like I'm a little crazy <laughs> too. And so I'm in, right? Okay. I'll go to church, whatever. Well, Slowly, I start to get chipped away. People are like, hey, come to our men's ministry. Okay, so I go on Saturday, and I see this guy named Garrett Uncle Bach leading it at the front. And they're like, oh, he's a Navy SEAL. He's a Navy SEAL. And I'm like, I remember I had a thought. I'm like, okay, that's cool, but what else is he? Like, that was what went through my mind. I was like, I was not like, oh, Navy SEAL. Oh, I was like, well, what else is there to this guy? I don't know if that, that's sorry for being dishonoring, G, you know? But, uh, yeah, I, that was my attitude, and I, I had a spirit of dishonor. Big time, all the time. That was something I carried with me from the yeah. UK that I didn't realize that I had, and it was not serving me. Right. And so I ended up going and like, once again, I get around your brother-in-law, my now best friend, James Collins and a few other guys in there. And I'm like, man, I like these guys. Like, so I'm starting like, great. I need to make friends. These will be my friends. And you get, you got drug on our camping yes, trip. Yes, I get, yeah, on the camping trip. But even before that camping trip. So like, I'm starting to like open back up to like, you know what? Like what these guys say makes sense. Okay. And I'm like starting to understand some of my mistake, some of the mistaken ways of my thinking before. And I'm open to God again. And I remember, man, I was in my house. Uh, I work from home. My office is probably about eight feet from the bathroom. I had just gone to the bathroom. I'm walking out of the bathroom. I literally was thinking about nothing but what I was about to go do for my client. And I heard, I, I mean, dude, it wasn't audibly, but like I, it, people would call it a moment of clarity. I just heard my ways are better. And I was like, I yeah. was like floored. And it was in that moment, I felt like God, like matrix plugged in the back of the plug to my head and Everything made sense about all the stuff I'd been doing for like all the growth mindset stuff, reading, thinking, grow rich, doing the Tony Robbins gratitude, like really doing all these like personal growth and development things. Like God was saying, Hey, the stuff you're doing, guess what? Guess who made that? Yeah, that's me. All wisdom is God's wisdom. Right. Right. And I just had that click in and I was like, Oh, the thing that you're missing is me. That's exactly what it was. It was the, it was the, like the keystone, the keystone at the arch that holds the whole thing together was put in place. And I remember very clearly I knew I was broken. I knew the things I was doing were not working. And I had lots of evidence to prove that the stuff I had tried didn't work. And I was ready to try a new way. And so I, I remember I said very clearly, I was like, okay, if this is you and this is your ways, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to run as hard and fast as I can until the day I die. And that was like, I was just like, let's go. Um, so yeah, then I go away to the camping trip with you guys. I had this incredible moment up with like just this, like another moment with God. And it's, it was just this incredible encounter of just worshiping God and just really feeling his spirit and praying with the, with the brothers there. And, um, I remember I was like, at this point, I'm like, okay, like I'm back in, let's go. Like, I was like, I was like a dog with a bone. I'm like, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. And I was like, God, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, you know, mission trips to Africa or what, you know, like crazy stuff going through your head. And I remember he just said, he, he pointed out three guys specifically to me. He's like, you serve those guys. And then as well as you as the leader, it's like, okay, so I was like, I'm just going to serve the absolute best that I can. And that led to so many other things as far as just deep relationships, growth, eventually led me to hiring you as a coach, which eventually led me to, you know, realize like growing from the time that I spent with you and, and realizing that other people needed this too to start this podcast. And one of the reasons why I'm so passionate, I mean, like even from starting this podcast, I've experienced so much growth because of all the time we spend together. And I'm very grateful for that. Like, I don't take it for granted. It's, uh, you know, it would have been a lot cheaper just to have you coach me than to spend time with you and all the <laughs> mental abuse that you give me. <laughs> but no, but I've grown so massively. And I, I, you know, I look at you, G, truly as like one of the most influential people in my life that I've ever had. There's a few men that have had great impact on my life. And you're, you're definitely uh, right up there at the top. And I, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about what we do on, on the impossible life and with mindset mastery and, and anything else we do, whatever we put out is because I know what it's like to just 
to, like I described earlier in this podcast, to be so miserable and so low. And I know now what it's like to understand the purpose that God has for my life, to feel like I have like truly a vision, a mission. I have my, my core values. I have uh, my ethos. I have, my, I have the principles to have my life in order, truthfully, like in God's order, and to feel his flow. Oh, man, to feel his flow and to just have that sense of purpose every day where you wake up and you're like, God made me to win. He's with me, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to make him known in everything that I do today. And to have that, and to not only not only to have that, but to have that sense of fearlessness. One of the things I, I identified, I always talk about how I identified fearlessness in you. What that looks like is you're never on defense. You're always on, like, if you ever want to attack Garrett, don't do it. Because you will get a counterattack of, like, 10x. And it's a joke, and it's funny, but you have that mindset, whether it's towards a snake trying to bite your friend, where you've truly then chased the snake to try and kill it, or whether it's some bad guy, you know, hypothetically coming after you, and people are like, oh, that's a Navy SEAL. Whatever. It's a mindset first. Even if you had none of the training, you already had the aggression, you already had the mindset that you're like, no, I don't run. That's different, because so many people are spent running away from pain and fear and anything that's like beating them up in their life, when you're like, you know what? I'm not running anymore. I'm here to fight. Ooh. You're not afraid anymore? No, I'm not afraid. Well, you just grew like 3X because now you're not the smallest, weakest version of yourself. You then throw in a sense of purpose. You throw in God's word. You throw in his spirit. You start to understand and have his wisdom. That's what I'm experiencing. And that's why, I, that's why we do, why I'm so passionate about what we do. We do because I want that for every person that's listening to this. That's, that's like my heart, man. I love that, Nick. I mean, your story to me is, again, it's a picture of what's possible from I think there's a lot of moments in your life that people listening to this are probably going to connect with. I hope so. Um, and again, the the part really just the last few years of your life, the massive transformation, yeah. which more than it's because it's not about like, hey, look what our podcast can do. It's, it, no. This is about what God can do. Yes. Right. And yes. That's what we want people to experience, that that's what was missing in your life. Yep. And then once you discover God in your life and, and get him at the center, then it's we got to learn how to grow our thinking. That's it. And, and we got to be willing to pay the price. Big right. Time. And those are the things that, w- that we talk about so much here on the podcast. But as we as we wrap this episode up, is there any uh, last things that you would want to say or that you wish people could take away from your story? Yeah. If you didn't catch it. What I will tell you, man, I when I was like, hey, I'm going to go get some coaching qualifications because it's the only thing I can think of that sounds like a way out or like something that I care about. I never thought in my wildest dreams that it would lead. I mean, like, I don't even do that. I coach my son's three-year-old team now. Whatever. It's fun. <laughs> I love it. But I never... Super overqualified. Yeah, I'm the most overqualified U4 uh, rec coach ever. But it's... um, I never thought in my wildest dreams that by just just pursuing something and just really being faithful. I didn't realize I wouldn't have called it faithful at the time, but like whatever you have, and I'm talking about no matter how small it is, you will not see the next step. I think if someone came, if you're a listener to this podcast, you're probably the type of person that if someone came to you and said, Hey, if you work really hard at this for three years, I'll give you a million dollars and you'll, all your dreams will come true. You, you'd probably do it. Now, a lot of people still wouldn't do it, but I think if you listen to this podcast, you'd probably do it. You're wired that way. Well, unfortunately that's never going to happen. And, and, and I don't, want, I don't say that to discourage you. What I say to you is that it's not going to happen the way that you know. People trip over the how all the time because they want to know the how. And they get hung up on like, well, I don't know how that's going to happen. You don't need to know how it's going to happen, right? You don't even need to know the next step. There were so many times in my life when I didn't know the next step. But that's I was good. just being excellent with what I had at the time. And I was just trying to be the absolute best at whatever I did. And it always, always, there's not one time that didn't pay back. Because you know what? Other people are watching and, you, and that's what you don't know. You don't know who you're going to bump into, who's going to walk into your life that's going to be like, man, you're really good at this. I could use something like that. And it's the who's, not the what's, right? And that's how it always happens. So my encouragement to everybody is you don't have to know the next step. Wherever you're at, be the absolute best you can be with what you have. Take a spirit of excellence and just go wholeheartedly into it and, and develop yourself, man. You are, you are the tide that lifts the boats in your life. Like everybody knows that term, like a rising tide lifts all, all boats. You are that tide. That's good. So the more that you develop yourself, the more you push yourself. I promise you God will meet you right where you're at. And, and last thing, G, I, I touched on it, but I didn't, I want to say it clearly. I cannot stress the importance of repentance. And, and I say that to say there was things I was doing in my life, things I was looking at that I shouldn't be looking at and stuff that I knew was wrong, that the moment I had that my ways are better with God, 
I repented of it right then and there, and I've never touched it or looked at it or even thought about it since then. Truthfully, it was that powerful. There were other things like drinking where I was still like, oh, but drinking's okay. And it took a little bit while, longer for my thinking to be changed. But when my thinking was changed and I realized, hey, this isn't serving me, this isn't making my best and highest for God, I put it down completely. I don't drink, right? And, and I'm not going to get into the theological side or anything like that because that's not, that's not the point of this. The point of this is, is that if you have things in your life that you are doing that you know are not God's way, you got to repent, ask him forgiveness, and turn away from them completely because you can't have both God's way and your way. It does not work. The flow that I experience in my life, the confidence I have in my life over three years comes because, I'll be honest, I still get constantly corrected by God, but when I do sense that, I apologize straight away and I take action to fix it. So if I could encourage you of two things is be excellent with where we are at and do everything you can to find out what God says about what you're doing in your life and do it his way. And I promise you, you will see his exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, think, or imagine in your life. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Remember to share, like, subscribe. If you think that this would be something that someone would enjoy, please send it to them. We appreciate it all. If you want to get in touch, you can follow us on Instagram at The Impossible Life. You'll find us on there. You can also email at impossiblelifepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, if you want to get in touch and find out about Garrett's personal or business coaching, that's the way to do it. Thank you again for listening. Go out there, think better, and live the impossible. See you again soon. Long before ice baths were a thing, Garrett was doing them in the SEAL teams. Now we do them as part of our daily morning routine to make us better. We are very pleased to have partnered with Freedom Plunge. Freedom Plunge is on a mission to bring cold exposure to everyone. They believe that cold plunges should be affordable, easy to use, and represent the customer themselves. Cold plunges shouldn't cost a fortune, and these ones don't. Garrett and I both use our Freedom Cold Plunge every single day. It's customized. You can put whatever you want on them. For us, we have our Impossible Life logos. And here's the best part. Just for listening to this podcast, you can go to freedomplunge.com, use the discount code IMPOSSIBLE, and save $500 off any Freedom Plunge. These things are half the price of the ones that you see on the internet, plus you're going to save an additional $500 with code IMPOSSIBLE. Go to freedomplunge.com and get yourself one now. You will not regret it.